what I do want to kind of share with you guys real quick, we're going to shift gears a little bit and kind of talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be doing something actually a little bit different uh, this morning than what we typically do on Sunday morning. So this is, if this is your first time here, um, we're really happy you guys are here. We're going to be doing something a little bit different. Typically, right now, we've been going through a, the book of Revelation, teaching through that uh, line by line. And uh, we're going to take a break from that this week. We'll be getting back into that next week. Uh, but this week, we're actually going to be talking about what we call VIEW. Stands for vision updates and encouragements. And what we wanted to do is take a Sunday. We're going to take, it's about 20, 25 minutes or so. We're going to talk about some of the good things that God's doing in our church in terms of vision, updates, and encouragement. And then I'm going to share a special message, something different that I, I felt like the Lord's just kind of been laying on my heart the past few months. So I'm excited to kind of talk about that. But what we're going to do before we jump in um, and start talking about vision updates and encouragements, I'm going to have actually um, our team of elders come on up. Um, if you don't know them, you'll get a chance to know who they are a little bit here today. If you don't, if you ever met them, you know, go out of your way and say hi to them at some point. Um, make them their, your Facebook friend. Um, send them weird stuff like people do on Facebook, and it'll be fun. Um, and what we want to do is we want you guys to kind of know a little bit about a church and know what God's been doing here. Um, if you call this your church, uh, you should be stoked um, about what God's doing here. So. Um, if this is not your church, you know, if you are not plugged into a fellowship somewhere, we, you know, encourage you to pray about getting plugged in somewhere. Whether it's here, great. If not, uh, there's a lot of other great churches in the area. Just be part of a local body whereby you can get plugged in and serve one another and love one another. That's how Jesus wants us to live. So we're going to talk a little bit about what this is and then uh, go through some things and then we'll get to the message. So the first slide I'm going to show you guys up here next is I'm going to give you guys a little bit of an idea what this is about. As I already mentioned, VIEW is vision, updates, and encouragements. Uh, We really want you guys to be encouraged by what God's been doing in this fellowship. We'll go through some examples of that. Um, The theme that we're going to really be emphasizing today and the message I'm going to be talking about really has to do with sort of the idea of identifying um, examples or evidences of God's grace. Um, the bottom line is this, is that you and I as human beings, we're wired in such a way where it's very easy for us to kind of have this perennial p- propensity to identify things that are wrong. We're really good at that. Um, as our staff meets, typically, one of the things that we do weekly, we know how we're wired, which we can always sit around and talk about everything that's wrong and people that annoy and the list can just go on and on. But we realize, for one, it's not helping anybody. It's not causing, bringing about any types of solutions. And really, honestly, it's not giving God honor and glory. So one of the things that we try to train ourselves to do is look for evidences of grace. Look for things that God's doing in people's lives. Look for things that God's doing within our church, within different groups, within different ministries and whatnot, and try to emphasize that. And that's one of the things that we're kind of be the theme of today as we're looking at that, as well as the message I'm going to talk about. Um, To start with, I want to talk a little bit about our vision or our mission for us as a church. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. We want us to be on the same page because, again, one of the things that we do not want to be is we do not want to be sort of just this place where people come, hang out, hear a message, and bail. That's what we don't want to become. We don't want to become like a typical church in America, not typical necessarily biblical, but in America that's about presenting a good message, coming to hear good music. It's almost like this, like going to the theater, you know, watching a good show. Be really frank, save your money. Don't come here. Just go to Avatar. We, they put on a much better show than what we can put on here. All right? It's fun. Make sure you get it in 3D. <laughs> Pandora's an amazing place. Um, anyways, our vision or our mission is this. Sorry. Um, Calvary Slow lives for Jesus as a church on the Central Coast. First of all, we live here on the Central Coast. This is where we're at. It's where God's placed us. We want to be effective here. All right? 
God's called us to be here. We, this is our Jerusalem, in other words. Book of Acts talks about the church, they reach their Jerusalem, then Samaria, then, then the uttermost parts of the world. We want to be faithful reaching our Jerusalem um, and understanding the culture. We want to understand the culture in which we live, understand what is unique here about the Central Coast. There's a lot of things that are unique about the Central Coast that are different from Huntington Beach, where I grew up. Very different. Um, some similarities, but some differences as well. We want to love the people. We want to love the people. Um, that's really central, meaning we want to be a group of people, a community of people that love all people, regardless of whatever types of backgrounds or things that they have going on in their life. We want to be a community that loves people. And finally, seeing people's lives transformed by Christ. That's ultimately the litmus test, is we want to see people transformed by Christ. That's our goal. That's our mission. And the way that we do that is by being in the community, loving people, understanding the culture in which we live. All right? Um, we're going to be hearing from each of these guys. This is Pastor James. Some of you guys know Pastor James. Uh, he'll tell you guys a little bit about himself. Uh, Patrick Zalamea, he's been with our church for several years as well. He oversees all of our financial stuff, and he'll tell you guys a little bit about some of the nuts and bolts of that. So let's jump in real quick, and I'll tell you guys the next slide uh, some of the things. Uh, tell you a little bit about our leadership structure. Uh, we've kind of gone through some changes with this over the past year. Um, and are excited to just kind of tell you guys a little bit how we uh, run as a church, a little bit of nuts and bolts type stuff. The bottom line is this, is that we don't operate like a typical business, meaning because we're not a business for one. Uh, we are not like a typical flow chart because at the center of who we are and what we want to be is Jesus. He's at the center of all that we are. We're always asking the question, what is on Jesus' mind? How does he want to lead the church? Because at the end of the day, we take very seriously there's one pastor here in this church, ultimately. It's Pastor Jesus. First Peter talks about Christ is the chief shepherd, chief overseer of the flock. But Jesus does appoint pastors and teachers and evangelists for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So we do recognize other levels of authority within the church. However, even though I may be a pastor, I may be the guy that founded the church or started it in my living room, you know, 16 years ago or so. But to be honest, at the end of the day, I'm not the main dude in charge. It's not me. It's Jesus. Our desire is to try to understand what Jesus is. That being said, I don't have all the gifts in the world. There's a lot of areas I, I lack that God has raised up other elders within our church in which we, we literally round each other off. Um, I got gifts that James doesn't. James has gifts that totally outshadow mine. And same thing, same thing with Pat is that we try to work together as a team collaboratively uh, with the main goal of trying to understand the heart and the mind of Christ. Uh, we also have our board of directors because we are a nonprofit org, we have um, you know financial officers that re respond to the uh, the state and want to make sure that all of our financial stuff is above the table and everything's uh, taken care of, so pastors aren't buying Learjets and uh, you know funding multi-trillion-dollar like radio stations and stuff like that. We just want everything to be above the, uh, above the ground and above the table so that there's honesty and integrity. And then finally, we have what's called our core team leaders. Um, we have a lot of people in this church. Uh, and very limited resources, talk about in a second, but the reality is this, is that uh, we have a, a, about seven people that are on staff, we work really hard, um, but they are not able to take care of all the mass amounts of ministry that's going on. If you want to have a little bit of a glimpse as to um, some of the things that are going on here within the church, um, I don't know if there's any more of these, these are a little view packet. Um, there's some at the front out there. There might be some out here. We didn't print up a lot of them because they cost a lot of money, and you'll find out a little bit. We do like pinching pennies here, and so um, we didn't want to spend a lot of money on them, but we realized some of you guys are 
you don't have computers. Um, so you can, you can either buy a computer, um, get to the age of, you know, where we're at in America here and in the world. Um, but, but, but I understand some of you don't. That's okay, too. We still love you. Um, no judgment here. We are an equal opportunity type church. People who have computers, people who have don't. So if you don't have a computer, um, you, can, you can get one of these. If you still don't have, you know, there's no more left, con- contact our office. We'd be happy to print you out one. Uh, the rest of you, just go to our website, calvaryslow.com. You can download this whole thing right there and print out on your own inkjet at your own expense. Um, but we want you guys to be able to read this and just kind of get a little bit of a glimpse as to what's going on in our church and our fellowship. Um, but we do have a lot of volunteers, a lot of people that devote a lot of their time and their energy to keep ministry happening, to keep serving people. Like, for example, our women's ministry. It's all run by volunteer. There's a lot of women that are involved in our women's ministry, and nobody gets paid a dime. They work really hard because they love you guys. Bottom line, they love you guys. And so we, that's sort of our core team. It's paid staff as well as volunteer people that are overseeing main ministries. We meet regularly we pray and again all of these teams work together with one main purpose in mind saying Jesus what do you want to do how do you want to lead this church where do you want us to go we try hard to discern and understand the mind of God Um, the next slide is uh, some goals for 2010 I'll go through these real quickly Um, again we looked at sort of our vision and our mission for us as a church Um, but bottom line is this there's two main goals and desires that we really are just praying that God would do in 2010 for us as a church, as we are on mission together, serving the Lord, is one, we really want to grow together as a healthy family. Um, One of the things that our elders did is we got together and we just were seeking the mind of God and asking God, you know, what what does God want us to do? Um, But out out of that, in our prayer time, one of the things that the Lord really kind of confirmed to us was asking the question, what has God already given us? Like, what has God already given us that we can be resourceful with? And one of the things that we realized is for us as a church, God's given us a lot of young people in this church, a lot of young people. Um, and obviously, I'm sure that you've, you've noticed that. You know, if you're older, you walk in here, like, are there any older people, or am I the only, only guy? You know, um, or um, if you're young, you're like, are there any old people here? So I, I hear that all the time. It's just kind of one of those regular, regular comments I hear. And, and the reality is, that's what God's brought here. This is the church that God has assembled. If the church is an assembly, or people that God has called out, this is what God's given us. And so with that, we've just really realized what we don't want to become is sort of this church that's divided, meaning the young people and the old people. Young people, you know, are students or transient or whatever the case is, and old people are the faithful, whatever. You know, I mean, we, we want to break through any types of divides and say, we're one body. We're one body. And we realize to be able to help us to think in a, in a, in a mindset that causes us to understand we're one is that takes healthy believers, people who understand Christ, people who understand the gospel and the impact of gospel life and centeredness upon our lives. In other words, God who is one sends his son into this world to create one body. So that's why Paul would say there is no Jews or Gentiles. There's no male or female. There's no uh, bond or free. They're one in Christ. There's, there, there's this one unity thing that's going on. And that we look at our church and say the same thing. There's not old people and there's not students. We're one in Christ. And to try to break through some of those cultural divides that may exist here, is we realize we need to be able to have a good, healthy understanding. So with that, the challenge for us is to really try to build healthy families as well as building healthy college students so that as they understand, as they grow up, they realize, you know, the older people are not your enemies. 
And you older people, you look at students, and you're like, they're not my enemies. I'll give you an example of this. A guy recently um, became a Christian in our church and started getting involved in a community group. And, uh, you know, there's some older people in there. And the guy basically took this young kid, um, he's like 18 years old, under his wing, and started discipling him. So I was talking with uh, the kid, 18 years old, you know, how are you liking the group? He's like, I'm loving it. I'm being discipled by this guy. It's the most amazing thing. I was talking with the older guy, and he was just like, I'm loving it. I'm having this opportunity to disciple this kid, and he's just drinking up Jesus and everything that I say. He just wants to know more, more about Christ. I'm like, that's exactly what the body of Christ is all about. Different stages of life that normally you would never even kind of put together, God puts together, and they love each other and serve one another, and they both grow in Christ. That's the idea that we're talking about. So with that, the um, way that we kind of see that happening is doing life together in our community groups. I mentioned that. If you're not involved in a community group, please, please consider getting involved in a community group. That's what we want to see for our church over this next year to grow. If you're not involved in a community group, that's one of the first steps that we're going to say. Get plugged into a community group. The second thing is this, God's Word. It's one of the reasons why we teach on Sunday mornings God's Word. We believe that God's Word is this catalyst that has the ability to bring about health and it helps us to understand the gospel in a clearer light, understand who God is. Uh, God's word is revelation. Our lives are proper when we understand the Bible. We respond properly to it and in worship. We become like Jesus, in other words. We're transformed into the image of God by God's word. That's, we, we have a firm belief on that. Um, thirdly, to join our social networking site. Some of you are like, I didn't know you had a social networking site. It's because we don't yet. Um, but we are actually in the process of looking for one and we've been spending several months trying to uh, do a lot of research and investigate and the goal behind this is not just simply Facebook. I heard it described this way. Facebook is kind of like a social networking site that's kind of centered around yourself, you know, Um, but a church networking site is really a networking site that's centered around the body. And what we will have on our social networking site will have this opportunity to be able to join groups, to start groups, you can invite people to be part of that. You guys can be dialoguing and contacting with each other. If there's events that are going on, someone's going to have a barbecue, you can uh, post on that group, invite people, send it out to anybody. People can you know, say what they're going to bring. Um, it'll have sort of a Craigslist type thing on there. If you want to sell something, you go onto our social networking site. You can do that. If you want to start a Bible study, you can go on there and start it, and you have study notes all on there. Um, you can start dialogue on there. Um, it's it's going to be a really great thing. We really believe it's going to be an opportunity to kind of draw people even closer together. Um, the other thing is to serve one another, to really recognize that God wants us to think like himself, which is God serves one another. Jesus served the disciples. And uh, we want us for us as a body to begin to think about how can we love one another and serve one another in very practical terms, um, to look for opportunities, be active in that. And then finally, to contribute to the family. Um, Patrick is going to talk with you guys a little bit about that. But at the same time, recognizing for us as a church, uh, the challenge is, is we, we're, honestly, for me as a pastor here, this, I have not talked a lot about money over the years ever. It's just been something I've never really done uh, for a couple reasons. One, it's just, you know, I, I've always thought that people don't want to hear about it. And I've come to realize nobody wants to hear about it. But then I've just even realized that's all the more reason why to talk about it is because it's an idol that everybody just wants to tuck in their pocketbook and not want to talk about. It's just an idol, and that's not good. And, and I've, I feel personally I've, I've kind of contributed to that rather than trying to teach how to redeem money, how to use money in a way that's glorifying to God, um, that opens 
up great blessing and whatnot. Not in terms of crazy prosperity doctrine where I'm going to go buy a Learjet, but in terms of just understanding money in a gospel-centered light. We want to be able to see people within our body um, that are already giving to continued giving as you would to Christ, but those maybe that have never considered even giving, to consider what it means to be generous with your time, your money, your life. It's talking about generosity. The last thing is this, uh, to live missionally. Um, and this kind of, again, practically works out where as you're involved in community, these things just actually naturally happen. So that's why we'd say first step, get involved in a community group. The next step, I think you will begin to actually start living out the gospel. You will begin to live missionally. You, in other words, you will live as on mission. On mission. There's two main ways in which oftentimes churches operate. Um, give you a fast little thing here. Is, uh, there's attractional ministries whereby, you know, pastor sets up really cool, slick stage. He drives a car out on stage and talks about sex. Everybody comes and they want to hear about it and they invite their friends and sends out big flyers and, you know, drops hundreds and thousands of dollars on advertisement because they got the thing going on at the church. And the idea is to attract people and bring them to an event whereby, uh, you know, you bring your unsaved people to church, they hear the gospel, supposedly, hopefully they get saved, and then they go back out. Um, That's one model. We we don't do that here, frankly. We're not attractional. Um, People come here and they're like, there's no wow factor. Exactly. That's the point. There's nothing like special about what we do here. I know our laser shows are really boring. Our lights are just like cheesy lights that we bought at Home Depot. And we do the best we can with what we have. There's like no secret, no trick to what we have, all right? And, but what we try to do well is live missionally. Meaning, we want to equip you with the gospel, with Christ, so that you go out and you be missional. You live the gospel. You take the gospel to your classrooms. You take the gospel to your neighborhoods. You take the gospel through community groups, to your families, to um, people at work. That's how the gospel gets out. That's, that's, that's kind of the mentality that we view. I think it's the scriptural way to do it. All right. Um, the last thing is uh, missions. We give a lot to missions yearly. 11% of everything that comes in, we give back out to missions, to church plants. We would love to see that number continue to go up. We would love to become even more generous than that. Um, right now, that's what we're capable of doing um, without throwing ourselves in a tailspin, but we are excited, and we want to see God continue to bless that. I'm going to pass the mic on to James. He's going to tell you guys a little bit about some um, evidences of grace in the lives of people within this church. Check. Um, if I really encourage you guys to, uh, well, let me introduce myself really quick. Um, my name is James, and I've had the privilege of being involved with Calvary Slow since we started meeting in Pastor Brian's apartment on uh, Pismo Street. 15, 16 years ago. I just graduated from Cal Poly. I never thought I was going to be able to graduate Poly, but by the grace of God, I did. And uh, so did my wife, and we were here. God allowed us to get jobs here, and we started working, and right about that time, got invited to the Bible study that, that he was doing. At that point, it was just a little full, little dinky little living room. And uh, to see what God's done by pouring out his grace over the years has been quite quite a humble journey, a very much a privilege. And um, we're just very grateful, and the best way to describe that in one word, in my opinion, is the word grace. He's poured out grace, and he's poured out more grace, and right when we need it, he gave us the right amount of grace, and he does that over and over and over again, and that's been the journey. As I'm sure all of us can testify, those of us who know the least bit about Jesus, you just realize how gracious he indeed is as a father and as a shepherd, that none of us would be here. And so, as it may appear, uh, 
this morning, perhaps, that we're talking a lot about Calvary so Slow uh, Church specifically. We're not here to elevate it above other churches by any means. Just the opposite. We just realize, as do, I do personally, it's only by God's grace that we're here. So one of the things that we've heard recently over the last few months, repeatedly, as far as a theme, is how are we seeing evidences of grace? And just as Pastor Brian said earlier, it's sometimes a challenge to find that silver lining in a situation, but we would just describe it as evidences of grace. And if you go on our website and you download this or you get a hold of a copy of this view packet, there's a whole section and it's called evidences of grace. And basically as it's looking back over the last year, each uh, core leadership, you saw the concentral circles in there, the core leadership team, each one of those people that oversee main ministries, whether it be students in college or in high school or community groups, or overseer of men's ministry, Patrick here, women's ministry, all of them gave synopsis and included it in this packet um, by ministry. And you can read about what they've seen as evidences of grace in their own ministry. I'd really encourage you guys, each one of you, to go and read that. Take some time, because what it does is you just, after a while reading these things, you realize that God's involved. God's involved in doing some great things through His grace. Part of that is we took a few people, and they were willing to be videotaped. We're going to show that, a little glimpse in the grace that's been poured out in their lives in, over this past year. Uh, I'm Bob Bertino. Uh, I've been a Christian about uh, 30 years now, uh, and I've uh, been attending uh, Calvary Slow for about a year. Uh, I'm, I'm Michael Lukai. Uh, I've been going to Calvary Slope for the past two years, uh, two and a half years, give or take. Um, and uh, right about my freshman year, when I came to college here to go to Cal Poly, um, I got plugged into uh, the rain. My name is Gwen Whedon, and um, I've been coming to Calvary since 2003. And um, I love Calvary Slow, and um, it the Lord led me here through different people. Hi, my name is uh, George Paz. Um, I'm 18 years old and I'm originally from Arizona. Uh, my name is Cassie and I've been a Christian for seven months now. Uh, and I can tell you, just in the last year, I've, I've uh, noticed that my recognition of the blessings uh, in my life have uh, become more rich. Um, and I think in large part because uh, I've stepped out in, in service uh, in the last year in, in really just simple ways. One of the ways that the Lord's really just been blessing me and just showing, uh, just showing His grace is through uh, the community that I've gotten to see, um, just developing there and uh, be a part of there at the rain and at Calvary Slow. And these different people that I met on the way um, have really changed my life and my son's life. It's been continual preparation. The Lord just keeps preparing me for um, new and different events. And, um, and I've come a long way. I've gone through a two-year divorce. That was um, the hardest time of my life. And um, I don't think I would have made it if I hadn't already been planted in um, here at Calvary. Um, I really leaned on all the people here. Um, and my son has been pretty much raised through the men, the godly men at Calvary Slow, and um, it's such a blessing and for, one, for a parent, for a mother, for, to know that her son loves Jesus Christ 
means more than anything, and I am now truly happy because of that reason. I really feel like the Lord has spoken to me, and I feel like my missionary work is in the Navy. Um, I, I enlisted in the Navy in April, and, and uh, I thought I was going to be a hero and serving my country and this and that. And uh, now that I look at it, I look at it in a completely different viewpoint. It's, it's, it's not about me anymore, it's about Jesus. Evidences of grace in my life have actually been recently. I just got back from India today, and um, I saw uh, two little girls that I met in the first village we went to last week. I definitely realized that God um, doesn't have a certain language that he speaks. So one of the tasks that I was assigned was to go into the bathrooms, the ladies and the men's bathrooms, and to clean up with really three sixth grade boys. And uh, I don't think I was even in charge that day. Uh, but it was through simple service of just cleaning bathrooms uh, for this church. And there are so many other ways to serve that uh, my life was enriched for that day and, and gave me cause to reflect on just the many blessings I have uh, through service to the Lord. And so my encouragement to you is to find ways to serve. Just uh, last month, we got to go to San Francisco on a little mission trip. Uh, it's cool to just see the ways that all the people that were part of the trip came together um, with all of their different gifts to be, um, to be the body of Christ, as, as you know, Corinthians described it, as, as it is in that. Paul's letter to the Corinthians in like chapter 12, I think it is, um, where it's just, you know, we, I saw I saw in my friends, like, some of them had this, this gift and this heart for just service, where they were just loving to um, to cook for the group, or to, you know, hand out bags of, of stuff to the, to the homeless, or whatever, and then there's other people that just had like a real um, apparent gift of um, just evangelism, and just reaching out and connecting on a spiritual level with the people that we interacted with there, and uh, just... I mean, all these different like aspects of, of uh, you know, Christ's character were shown in the group, and it was cool to see it all come together and just be encouraged by it and be part of it and uh, just uh, see God move through that. So that was one of the ways um, that I've just been blessed um, in the past uh, past couple months um, through the rain and through Calvary's Little and through just being here in St. Louis Obispo. Um, God has just continually has blessed us in so many ways, and it's endless. I could go on for hours, but anyways, I just want to encourage others to um, get plugged into a church, be it here or anywhere else, and to have a church family that will surround you and lift you up in prayer and scripture. And I've been lifted up for the last two years, and I don't think I've touched the ground since. Awesome way to put it. Don't think my feet have touched the ground since. We're really excited about 2010. As long as God gives us breath and he allows us to come together as a family, there's a, there's a lot of evidence of a grace to come for each one of us, right? Lots of grace. When you feel like you've used it up, guess what? You wake up the next morning, there's a whole nother reservoir waiting for you from the hand of the Father. So we're most excited about that. We're most excited about progressing into this year as a family. So if you Really look at your own life and say, I'm not feeling like I'm in the flow of that family uh, pouring out of grace in that family. I would encourage you, this is, a, this is a great year to do it. And for us down, even in the South County, week in, week out, we have a small group of people come together. And for me personally, it's not I'm the pastor coming to, be, to bless all these people that come there into this house. But really, for my wife and I and family, it's a necessity. I need that group, Okay. I need it. And I, I, just, uh, I would just encourage everyone, not just because I oversee community groups, but just simply because it's, there's grace and abundance 
that you bring, other people bring as you come together in a small group, whether it's a men's, women's, whatever. So I encourage you guys, pray, get involved, and be part of that. Now Patrick Zalame is going to come up, and um, you'll probably chuckle a few times by what he says, because he's that kind of a guy. Nice. <laughs> All right. Good morning, guys. Um, you guys doing good? You're hanging in there with us? I'm going to take care of that with a lot of numbers. Um, <clears throat> you guys are doing really good. First service, there was a few people, like maybe six people sleeping. And uh, I think with the 11 o'clock service, you know, you guys are awake and you've had your coffee and that kind of stuff. So you slept until like 10.59 and rolled in here. So that's good. We're glad that you're here. This guy's hat is going to uh, worry me because I'm a Ducks fan and I love the Ducks. And he's, I'm, okay, keep looking over there. Anaheim Ducks. It's hockey. Thank you. Yeah, I'm Filipino. I grew up in Southern California, and I love hockey. I don't know. Uh, I started coming here in 98, and uh, me and my wife moved up here uh, then, and we have two boys, and we're hoping to adopt uh, two girls this year, so you can pray for that for us. Um, Yeah, we've seen a lot of evidences of grace in our lives. We, Jesus came and met us here at Calvary Slow. Uh, right around uh, the 2002-2003 year, and uh, I was the first guy out of here every Sunday from 98 to 2003. I just wait in the car for my wife. Uh, if you're like that, you should be convicted. It's not good. You should be serving. <laughs> if you're a man, you should be serving here. Uh, so I work at a dot-com, one of the dot-coms that didn't blow up uh, back in the blow-up of the dot-com era. It's a few doors down. And I spend a lot of my lunches here being the administrative elder for Calvary Slow and overseer of men's ministry and a board member. And I'm like the opposite of that guy that used to go out uh, in the parking lot and wait for my wife. And uh, yeah, so we're hoping God will alleviate some of those roles for me sometime soon. But uh, what I'm here to do is tell you about the fiscal results. And what I want to tell you guys is that the fiscal results aren't just a bunch of numbers and they're dry. They're really an extension of the evidences of grace like... I started helping out with this role in August, and just it's a privilege to watch what Jesus does because I get the numbers, and if you're like me and you're administrative, you, it's, it's, you start worrying about stuff, you know? And you can't sleep at night, and you worry that, you know, bills are going to get paid. But the amazing thing is uh, the operational finances for this t- last year, 2009, um, we had 440, total $440,000 come in, and we spent 439000 of that. And, uh, that, yeah, God gave us a gift of $1,000 for the year. And that is wonderful for me. <laughs> because every month I'm like, are we going to make it? I don't know. The next slide you'll see what I'm talking about. And uh, God just totally brought it together for us. And uh, we praise him. And if you want to go Pentecostal and clap for God for that, you can totally do that. And, uh yeah. That's good. Uh, just so you know what the breakdown of that is, 54% of that is staff. And I think Brian told you there's seven people on staff, and that's uh, pretty low for seven people, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Facilities is 26% of that budget. Missions is 11. We're very dedicated to giving away um, as much money as we can, and that seems uh, out of the ordinary for any business, but that's where we're at. That's where Jesus has us, and that's awesome. I love being able to give away that much money, and we'd love to give away even more. Operations is like the uh, paper and uh, 
kitchen stuff that we need and stuff that we need, at, like hand sanitizer at the children's ministry, that kind of stuff. That's 7% of our budget. And then what's not there is local ministries. Uh, I, it's kind of a typo, but um, 2% of our budget goes to local ministries here. That's the men's ministry, women's ministry, children's ministry, that kind of stuff for like scholarships, for retreats, and that sort of stuff. And uh, we realize that's, that's sort of low. And so we'd like to see that kind of raise, and you'll see that in a couple of slides. So that's the breakdown. As far as the building is concerned, like I said, the above stuff is operations, and we separate the building expansion. Whenever we say the building, we're talking about the expansion. That's taking down this wall and moving into the 6,000 square feet that's next door. And if we could put a little hole in here to show you what it looks like in there, it needs a lot of love. And uh, so, so far, we've just been spending just on this 10,000 square feet. Altogether, we'll have 16 at some point is the plan. And we've been saving since pretty much the inception of Calvary Slow. They've been saving. We're really tight with our money. And we had about $35,000, when we started this whole thing. We brought in about $78,000 uh, since November of 2008 till December of 2009. And we spent about 65, 66 of that just to move in here and get some of these things going. And so far, we have 48,000 left over. And that's another evidence of grace and a really great start for the building expansion that we want to do here uh, in 2010. And again, just so you see the evidence of grace, if any of these numbers were any different, we as an elder team would totally do, be doing a lot of stuff different. So... The way that the numbers show up is what we see Jesus doing, and we want to steward it well. And that's what you'll see in the budget of 2010 in a couple of slides. So maybe it's the next one. I don't know. Oh, no. So a bunch of detail for the fiscal results. This is what it looks like every month. And me and Gina, Gina's our office manager. She's the one that really does all of the numbers. We worry about this uh, slide a lot. And uh, what happens is you see the contributions uh, are kind of like, you know, erratic, and the expenses are always the same, just about level. And uh, so that just tells you, you know, we worry about the cash flow. Are we going to make it this month and that kind of thing? So I just wanted to throw that up there for you guys. If you guys are regular contributors already, just so you know, we, we rely on that every month. And if you want to, you can totally use the giving link that's on our website. And that'll just take the money out, I think. And also, if uh, you have your bank software, like I know B of A does, you can just schedule the giving so that we make sure that we can make every month and not have to um, dip into our savings. But as you saw before, God totally made it work out, so it's all good, right? And then the next one is really cool because it shows you that in a down economy in 2009, uh, obviously the operational giving, the tithing, went down a little bit based on 2008, but still was above 07 and 06. And the total contributions with the building contributions was, was uh, bigger than any other year that we've, since we've been keeping track. So that's another evidence of grace and God telling us, hey, have, take steps of faith. And uh, so what you're going to see, I think, on the next slide is, why, is part of the reason why we're looking for a budget in 2010 of $800,000. Are you guys okay? <laughs> I think last service somebody fainted. But... I think it was me. <laughs> okay, so to break that... <laughs> Sorry. So to break that down, the operational budget, we tried to keep that pretty level at $500,000. Last year, like we said, was four hundred and forty. The year before that was about four hundred and sixty, four hundred and seventy. And the staffing is staying the same. We, haven't, we weren't able to give any raises just to keep the budget 
about the same facilities we're gonna, is going to go up because we're going to actually start paying for rent on that 6000 So that's why we kind of want to get in there so that we're paying rent and using it. And uh, missions is going to stay the same this year. Operations will stay the same. And you see ministries we bumped up a little bit to 7%. So uh, that's a, I think that's a really wonderful step for us as a church. And as far as the building is concerned, the 300 of that 800000 for this year is for the building expansion. And uh, it seems like a really big number, but if any of you have done any, um, anything in your home, it costs money, and you look at it per square footage. I just did the flooring in my house, and uh, I don't know if my wife wants me to tell you guys this, but it was like $15 per square feet, just the flooring. So for an industrial building, for commercial, for $50 per square foot, just $35 more a square foot than that. It's really reasonable. The guys that do the, um, the building committee are um, very, George is over there, they're very conscientious about um, how much money we're going to spend, but actually also being legal and uh, <laughs> being on code, because if it were just up to me, we would just go in there, but I think Brian would be in jail or something, and that's not good, because we need him preaching here. It would be cool to have a live feed from jail, though. <laughs> Prison ministry from the inside. Uh, so just so... <laughs> I'm like worse this service than last one. Uh, so just so you guys know, I think there was some confusion from some people who thought that we own this building, and we don't. We have a 15-year lease on it, so it's a 15-year commitment. And just so you guys know, also, basically, if you want to look at it from a bottom line perspective, we're going to be about $400,000 into this building once it's all said and done. To buy a building is like, four, like more like $4 million or $3 million or $5 million if you want to look at it that way. So... You might be thinking, wow, that's a lot of money, but buying a building's a lot more. <laughs> so I think I'd rather go for uh, this option. And the last thing that I wanted to show you guys is just so you know, we're, we're praying about these things. We really want the heart of Jesus to know where we're going with this thing. We want to see where he wants us to go. And also we do some analysis, and that's where, where uh, like basically I come in. And how do we know that we can do $800,000? Well, we looked at two things. Number one, we looked at tithing. Uh, generally speaking, uh, people look at tithing as a 10% of your income kind of a thing. And so we said, well, what if 800 people were tithing? And this is assuming 35,000 is the average. That's the only thing I could find on the internet. So I'm going to go with that. And uh, if we did that, it would be, we'd, get, we'd bring in $2.8 million this year. In other words, we'd, we'd make our full budget and we'd have $2 million to give away. If uh, 500 people did it, we'd have one and three-quarter million dollars. And if 300 people were giving 10% of their income, on average $35,000 a year, we would do a million dollars, and we'd totally blow away that uh, $800,000 budget. So that's, that's how it goes. And you could keep going, and we didn't, but um, that kind of helped us know what's going on. And the second thing that we looked at was who's giving now? About 100 people um, are giving, and we'll just round it up to $500,000, and I know... You know, there's a lot of factors in there, but it's a lot of rounding just to, because I'm not really good at math, even though I like finances and stuff. Um, so we said, if 100 people are giving $500,000 now, what if 100 more people were to give that same amount and we'd be at a million dollars? And what if, it's not up there either, but what if 50 did? And that was, uh, I think, around 750 or $800,000. So we figured um, God could totally do this. God can do anything but he's also showing us that it's totally doable. So 
that's just up there for you guys to know where we're at. If, um, like I said, with the 2009 budget, if we see numbers that aren't um, going with that, if God's not putting it on people's hearts to give, for more people to give rather than for the people that are already giving to give more, then we'll have to adjust. And uh, that's just what we will do because that's what we want to do is just to be faithful to what God's giving us. So uh, I think that's what I have. So thanks, guys. Thanks for staying awake and uh, go Ducks. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, you guys are patient. Hopefully, that's informative for some of you and a blessing. Um, and again, really, I mean, the idea, we don't, we don't want to bore you guys. We, we hope it's informative in that sense of just being able to realize, wow, you know, as a church, God's doing a lot of really cool things. And, you know, for stuff to get done, I mean, I don't know how to say it other than the bottom line is it costs money. I mean, it just it costs money to do stuff and um, to have this building, to have chairs to sit on and just stuff like that. So, you know, at the same time, we want to be able to be very open and upfront about the stuff that we've got going on. We don't have anything to hide, you know. Pastor's not, you know, stuffing a Learjet on San Luis. You know, we, you know what I'm saying? We've got nothing to hide, and we, we want you guys to just know that. We, we are, our main objective is to be good stewards with everything God's given us, so we hope that you guys know that. If there's more information that you guys want to know that was not there, uh, maybe to do with finances or whatever, contact Patrick or Gina. They'd be happy to uh, give you guys more information. It's what it is. So with that being said, what I want to do right now, I got something that I feel like the Lord's been kind of laying on my heart. I want to share with you guys. Um, so if you guys would not mind opening up in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians uh, chapter 2, I want to start right there. And again, the theme that I want to really kind of uh, emphasize here this morning is what we already kind of started talking about, which is this idea of evidences of grace. Um, and it's sort of... Uh, the premise is we want to be able to become good at identifying evidences of grace, um, as opposed to just simply seeing things that are, all, that are wrong all the time. But with that being said, what I want us to understand is that if you're in Christ, if God has saved you, if you call yourself a Christian, and you know what it means to be in relationship with Christ, you are an evidence of grace. God has changed you. And what I'm going to do is I want to sort of launch out talking about this um, looking at the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about grace a lot. But what I want to do from that is I want to begin to think and just sort of take a look at at least three areas. There's a lot of areas that we can look at. We don't have a, you know, tons of time to talk about all this this morning. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to look at at least three areas in the early church that are very tangible. That when grace comes into a person's life, when they're transformed by the gospel, when they come to know Jesus, they think differently about various things. That's what happens when the gospel comes in people's lives. I don't know if you picked up on that, but in, in, in most of those, you know, uh, little testimonials, each of those people are evidences of grace. They're sharing different stories about, I love Bob's. Um, I mean, he's talking about, he's actually here. I'm going to embarrass him right now. Okay, what, what were you before? Come on, what, what were you before? You were in the Air Force. What were you? He was a, this dude's a colonel. I mean, that's like Qui-Gon Jinn. I mean, I mean that's like, that's, that's, that's high-ranking Jedi. And, and, and the reality is, is I, you know, I was blessed by that, because most people don't know that. And he's, he's letting himself just hang out with a bunch of sixth graders and, and work. That's an evidence of grace. When, when people are being like, you know what, I'm nobody. I'm just a believer. I love Jesus. Uh... I'm here to serve. I'm here to love Christ. I'm here to let my life shine brightly for Christ. 
Those guys, is what I'm talking about, are evidences of grace. When grace comes into our life, we think differently about lots of things. Three things we're going to take a look at here in just a moment after we read this. I want to read this passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 says this. For we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he made us alive with Christ by grace. It's an evidence of grace. Uh, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us in heavenly places. If you guys were here last week or the week before, we looked at heaven. That's what he's saying. Paul's saying that we're there. We're already there. It's almost as if we are already there in heaven with Christ. We're seated with Christ in these heavenly places. So that in the coming ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So here's what Paul's saying. If you're a Christian, if you've been saved, if you know what it means to have a relationship with Christ, you have been demonstrated grace in your life. But it gets even better is what Paul's saying. That's, just, that's like the trailer. That's like the beginning. That's it's just an appetizer at, you know, at a nice restaurant. It's just the beginning of what God's going to do. Because Paul says, in the ages to come, grace upon grace upon grace will be showered upon us in eternity. Do you understand how great this is? Grace changes us. Grace transforms the way that we think. And here's what he finishes with. He says, for we are his workmanship. The word workmanship, the Greek word is poema. We get the English word poem from. It's the idea of taking words that may not rhyme, may not necessarily have any types of interrelationship with each other, but a good poet is a wordsmith. He knows how to take various words and bring them together and make something absolutely profound and stunning and beautiful. That's what God does with your life. Takes your life that may seem disjointed, may seem broken, may taste bitter, may have trial, may have difficulty. You may have been perverted. You may have been lived in perversion sexually, whatever the case is. And what God does is he comes in, he transforms you, and he changes you. That's what grace does. So I'm going to look at three things real fast um, in the early church that are really profound and strong evidences of God's grace in the way people thought and understood. We're going to start basically within the next slide. We're going to understand how grace basically leads to a different perspective uh, or attitude about culture. I want to start basically by taking a look at Acts chapter 17. You guys can turn there real quick if you want. It says up there on the screen. It says this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. Uh, So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers also converse converse with him. Okay, what I find fascinating about this is really understanding, first of all, who Paul was. Paul was a Jew. It wasn't just any Jew. Paul was like an elite Jew, part of an elite sect of Judaism called Phariseeism. All right, think back to the Gospels. Who put Jesus to death? It was the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Paul was part of that group, that mindset, that legalistic exclusivistic type mindset. That was Paul. So Paul was brought up in this mentality that you just don't converse with pagans, you don't rub shoulders with pagans, you don't eat with pagans. Basically anybody who's not a Jew, you just don't hang with them. So here's Paul. Now he's saved. Knows Christ. Paul has been transformed by grace. And Paul's out touring the world on a mission. He ends up going to this place called Athens. It's chuck full of idols, pagan temples, And all sorts of stuff going on that's just basically paganistic. And what's Paul do? He walks in the city and he's bummed. I mean, he's grieved in his heart, rightfully so. Any Christian would be because they know that this is not how God wants them to live. But what Paul does 
rather than like turning around and running away from the city, like a lot of times Christians typically do, and just try to avoid the culture, what Paul does is he actually keeps going into the city, pressing on even further, because Paul recognizes the culture has become perverted. They, they've taken something that's good, that's, that can be good, and they perverted it because of this idolatry. So what Paul does is he begins to address the idols within the culture to try to bring about redemption. Sociologists have studied Christianity for a long time. One of the things that a lot of sociologists have discovered, there are actually two main extreme ways in which Christians, by and large, have dealt with culture. They've either been sort of in this mentality, and here's the words that they use for it, they've either basically been sectarian or simulative. Sectarian meaning they pull away, they run away from culture, they view it as bad, they avoid movies, they avoid bad music because it's all evil. And what ends up happening sort of by and large within this particular group is they begin to form subcultures, meaning they make Christian music, they make Christian like cooking shows, and make, you know, Christian bakeries and Christian shoe stores and Christian everything. It's subculture. It's all about making subculture. And what I want to say is this, it's an attempt to pull away from culture because culture is evil. That's the mentality behind it by and large. Sectarianism. The, the other way is assimilative. Meaning, Christians have embraced culture. They become like the culture. Rather than pulling away from culture to the extreme, they become like the culture. They act like the culture. They, 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 they also begin to sort of uh, forget the centrality of the scriptures. And so they don't let the scriptures begin to define who they are anymore. So they begin to loosen up a little bit in the scriptures. And they sort of capitulate to the culture, meaning they become like it. And what ends up happening is you have these two extremes. On the one hand, you have fundamentalism. On the other hand, you have liberalism. What I want to try and say is this, is that when the gospel truly grabs a hold of your heart, what happens is true Christians begin to realize the culture's not evil. The culture may have been perverted to become evil, but culture is what people make it. So Christians who love Jesus begin to realize we have an opportunity now, a mandate to transform the culture. To change the culture. Is this making sense, you guys? To actually redeem the culture. Now, some things in culture are not able to be redeemed. You can't have Christian porn stars. It's impossible. I'm not, you know, I'm serious. There are certain things in culture that culture is defined by. Pornography is a huge item within our culture. It's not able to be redeemed. But you can send good, sanctified, godly women who love Jesus into the porn industry to love them say women, men shouldn't be in there. Uh, but the point that I'm making is that we shouldn't run away from culture. We shouldn't capitulate to culture. We got to be able to walk the proper boundary between us. That's why a guy like Paul, who is a Jew, who is used to the formal legalisms of his day, who is raised within a very legalistic standard, was actually able to hang out, kick back with Epicurean and Stoic philosophers and talk Jesus. That should stun us. Because to be quite frank, the Christian church is not that great at doing that in America today. We're really good at forming subcultures and pulling away from the culture and condemning the culture rather than moving in the culture and figuring out ways to redeem the culture. What I'm trying to say is this, is when grace changes our understanding about culture, this is why Christians can actually go and embrace the culture and be part of the culture. And you can have Christian scientists, not those kind, Scientists that love Jesus. 
scientists that love Jesus and preach Christ and actually study science. And you can have Christians that actually understand and want to study the stars, astrophysicists. You can have Christians that love Jesus and and are, are presidents of schools. And you can have Christians that know how to do architecture type stuff and they can do a good job there. That's why Christianity can literally invade and adapt to every type of cultural type of thing within the world and just become a good influence there for the ways of Christ. That's what William Wilberforce did. I was reading a book by, uh, by John Newton. And John Newton literally was approached by William Wilberforce. He was his pastor. And William Wilberforce was like, listen, I'm struggling. Should I go in the ministry? Should I continue with Parliament? Wilberforce literally talked about it. He was like, you can't go in the ministry. God's gifted you. He's given an open door for you. And he's given you a passion to fight slavery. John Newton used to own a slave trading business he was a, before he was a Christian. Actually, even when he was a Christian, ironically enough. And he basically talks him out of it and says, you have to stay fighting this battle. So Wilberforce was able to stay strong in his job, and he changed history. What I'm trying to say to you guys is this, is people who understand grace and how grace changes our understanding of culture, we begin to realize we can actually be in the culture and be life-transforming type agents within that culture. The second thing I want you guys to notice with this is also it transforms the way that we think about community transforms the way that we think about community. The next verse I want you to notice is Acts 11 or 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And then, but they were speaking the word to no one except the Jews. This is a really important statement within the text. So he makes the point. These dudes never talked to anybody else except Jews. It's all they talked to. It was just Jews. Really important in the text. And he goes on. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were, when coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, that's Greek people, you know, could be Gentiles, could be Jews, that, you know, basically became kind of Greek-ish type people. Um, They were sort of sellouts, if you would, of backslidden Jews. It says, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They were shocked. They're tripping out. They're like, what? Gentiles coming to Christ? Is that possible? I mean, they're tripping out. They're like, how is that possible? I thought God only liked Jews. That God only shined favor and grace on Jews. And what the whole shocker of this story is that, no, that's not true. Grace, when grace comes, grace has no boundaries, has no limits. It does not uh, sort of, it goes beyond boundary lines of community that we oftentimes establish. And what happens here is in this particular verse, in verse 23, it says, when they came and they saw the grace of God, they were glad. They're stoked. They realize God's grace actually goes to all people, not just those that we like. Okay, let me just talk about this real quick. The bottom line is this. Again, there's a couple of errors in which people can think about this. It's it's like, okay, does this mean that we all got to like, you know, cut our hair the same way we're matching sweatshirts? You know, kind of assimilate with each other and just kind of act like everybody else. I'm not talking about this idea of basically becoming like everybody or just liking those who we like. Do you realize that when we like people and we hang out with people just because we like them, you, you gotta pause and think about this. One of the reasons why I think there's certain people that we choose to hang out with other than others is we see qualities in them that are kind of like us. So at the end of the day, it's very possible the reason why we hang out with them is because we like ourselves so much that we only like to hang out with people that remind us of number one. All right? I mean, the point that I'm making is this, is when grace changes us, it changes the way that we think about community. 
Let me talk about this with our church. I mentioned this earlier. We've got a wide range of people here, ages, all right? And the reality is, is that when grace falls upon a community of people, they begin to see everybody as examples and evidences of grace. They don't see ages. They don't see things from that angle that makes people insecure and freaked out, be like, oh my gosh, I'm 55 and everybody else is like 20. What should I do? Should I go to another church? No, you know what you should do? You should have an experience with grace. That's what you should happen in your life. You should meet Jesus. You should know the God who saved you. You should understand his power, his ability to change and transform your mind. That's what you need to understand is the grace of God. Because you know what's going to happen? You'll go someplace else. We'll keep moving around. And you will always inevitably just hang in circles of people that remind you of yourself. We've got to break out of that. It's by nature. That's why Jews only hang out with Jews. That's why, that's why it says when they left Jerusalem and they're preaching the gospel, who they preach the gospel to? Jews. Why? Because they're Jews. When grace came, there's a handful of group of people that just didn't understand the rules, didn't ever read the guidebook, and they're like, you don't look like a Jew. Can I tell you about Jesus? And they're like, yeah, I want to know Christ. I want to be saved. I want to be baptized. I want to know what salvation is all about. And this kept happening to a degree where the city of Antioch was transformed. It was the very first, I would even say, experiment of Christianity spreading into a non-Jewish city. And when word heard about it back in Jerusalem, they were tripping out. They're like, we had no idea that God wanted to move like this. I encourage you guys to look at this whole body. Look at everybody from different ages. Not as broken down by different age groups or social economic statuses, what type of wheels they have, what type of duds they have on. I want you to think about them as evidences of grace. What God has done in their life, Think about how we can become one as a body and serve one another. Because when grace happens and changes and it transforms us, it changes the way that we think about this sense of community. The last thing I want to basically look at is this, is grace also changes the way that we think about our money. Money. You're like, money? Talk about this. Yes. Money is a tangible, very tangible thing. And the reality is, it appears in the book of Acts. Jesus actually talks about money more than any, it's like one of the main subject matter that he talks about throughout all of his sermons. It's phenomenal when you think about it. But the reality is, is you ask a question like, why? Why did you talk so much about it? Because Jesus knows that there's this tendency for us to be like little misers. We're like little greedy misers. The funny thing is, is if some dude is like involved in adultery, that's blatant. Like no dude could be like, I didn't know you were my wife. I had no clue. I mean, the reality is adultery is blatant. Fornication is blatant. Pornography is blatant. Stealing, pretty blatant. Greediness, it's like that little demon sin that hangs out only in your wallet. Nobody knows about it. Nobody can tell it. So I want to help us to think about this because when the gospel transforms us and grace changes us, it actually pries our fingers off of the propensity that we have to hold onto everything as tightly as we can because we think that that is what will save us. That, in essence, is like a functional savior. Let me read you this passage, verse uh, 32 of chapter 4. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, no one uh, who said that they had things that, that belonged to them was their own. They had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. 
And there was not one needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands, houses sold them, bought, and the proceeds, they brought it, that was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and then they distributed it to everybody in the church. I mean, everybody was well being taken care of because everybody in the body was generous with what they had. This is, again, one of those areas that people are like, how do I know? How do I know? Well, let me just say this. If you are even willing to ask the question, how do I know? I mean, in all honesty, how do I know if greediness is a sin that I struggle with? Because the reality is, at the end of the day, most of us, most of us would never look at ourselves and think, I'm greedy. You know why? Because there's already always somebody else that we can think of that is spending more money than we are, that's living beyond their means, that's you know, going bankrupt, or doing something worse than we can ever even imagine. And we always sort of peg ourselves against them. They're like, we're not that bad. We're not that bad. Greediness is something that is very difficult to identify. Let me give you an example. Three of them, fast. Is this. One of the ways in which you can identify if greediness and money has become a god that God wants to transform the way that we think about it. Money is not evil. I always hear this verse misquoted. It drives me nuts. Money is not the root of all evil, all right? It's the, what, what is it? Love of money. Thank you. I don't know why it's always misquoted. I hear on the news, I even heard some dude, he's like, money is the root of all evil. We all know that. It's like, no, that's wrong. It's the love of money. It's when money becomes an idol, that is what brings about wars and rumors of wars and all sorts of evil things going on in his life is when people love that stuff. Christians, people who have had an evidence of grace in their life, they use money, but they use money in a way to free other people, to help other people, just like happens in the book of Acts. They think about their money differently. Let me give an example. Okay, for one, if you are the type of person, when you hear someone talk about money, whether it be raising money for Haiti, uh, you know, in Haiti or something like that, and you're like, it's all a scam, and I don't even want to give anything. Or when a pastor gets up and talks about money like church, like right now, and you're like, why is this happening? Um, the reality is, if you're the type of person that just clams up, gets really angry and frustrated and thinks that a, you know, this is like a cheap shot for a pastor to do something like this, then, but at the same time, you don't have any problem going out and spending you know, a couple hundred, three hundred dollars, whatever, on a pair of jeans or a pair of shoes or some sort of wardrobe for yourself. You don't have any problem whatsoever dropping large sums of money on yourself. You don't even bat an eyelash about that. But the thought of, you know, giving 20 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever, to some sort of charitable, you know, means, the reality is, is at the end of the day, it's very possible that your wardrobe is your temple. It is your functional savior. Because the reality is, is we are happy to give our money to anything that we feel or deem most worthy. Do you understand that? That which, that is our God. Whatever it is that we feel is most worthy, most valuable in our life, we are happy to devote anything that we have to that. Let me give you another example. If you own a house and you're like the thought of like dropping, you know, $50,000 on an extension just does not even bother you. It's just like, oh, great, we'll just do that. We'll make that happen. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having some nice clothes or having a nice house. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But the reality is, is if those thoughts of just dropping large sums of money on a house, for example, it's not a problem, but the thought of actually giving to the poor, helping out the marginalized, donating to a church, giving money to Haiti, is, is, is you're, like, you're like, I can't do that. I want to do that. I'm actually getting irritated and frustrated because they keep talking about that. It's because your house is your security. That's your temple. Our money goes to wherever our temple's at. I'll give you one more. Some of you are like, I don't spend my money on my house. I don't spend my money on clothes. We know that. We give you the permission to buy new clothes, okay? You need new clothes. Um, some of you 
uh, you actually pride yourself in the fact that you're all cool about investments. You're like, you know, I save my money. I put my money in the bank. I make good investments. I'm all about being, you know, you know, pinching the dollar bill as far as it can go. I'm all about saving money. But the thought of like actually being free and donating and giving, being generous, is so painfully difficult for you. Your bank is your temple. Your bank is your functional savior. It's what will save you. It's what will help you. It's what will take care of you when times get tough. Do you understand? That's the place of God. God says, I will take care of you when times get tough. I will be your savior. I will be the one that will help you in your time of need. So I want to finish by basically saying this. Is I want to make sure that we understand that when the gospel transforms us, when we understand, when the grace transforms a community, when grace transforms an individual, we think differently about our culture, we think differently about our community, we also think differently about our money. How do you break free from that? And are you basically saying, give money to Calvary Slope? No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, if God lays it upon your heart, great, but not at all. But here's what I am saying is I want for us to think about how the gospel, how grace transforms the way that we think about our goods and how that we give. There are so many opportunities to be able to give joyfully and generously our goods away to Christ to build actual true wealth in this world. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. So I want for us to think about that. I want to finish with this because in the end of the day, what I'm talking about is Jesus. That's where we're heading. That's what we want to be able to see, Christ comes into this world, we're basically saying what grace does is it transforms you and it makes you into the image of Christ. Jesus, okay, get this, Jesus enters into not the culture of heaven, but the culture of earth. As a Jew, he learns the customs. He takes up the lifestyle. He wears the clothing. He learns the language. He lives the life. He acts like a Jew because he is a Jew. Jesus literally moves from his domain of heaven, takes upon the culture of Judaism, first century. Jesus also understands community. That's one of the most absolutely beautiful things about the gospel. Here's what God does. God's not interested in affinity, just finding people that are just like himself and bringing them in. Here's what God does. He takes sinners People that are disobedient, people that have literally flipped God off by our lifestyles and abused his grace and his goodness in our lives. And God says, I have died for you. I've sent my son into your context, into your culture to save you, to bring you into relationship with me, into community. It's absolutely beautiful. The last thing is Jesus is unbelievably generous. He gave his life. Paul the Apostle talks about this in 2 Corinthians. I think it's like chapter 8. He basically talks about how Christ, who though he was rich, became poor, so that we who are poor can become rich in Christ. Do you understand? What we're talking about is not you just giving, not you just becoming part of a community, and not you just somehow having some sort of a change of heart with culture. What we're saying to you, if you have any differences of the way that's laid out in the scripture is what you need is an experience of grace. If the reality is, is that the concept of money is you just can't let go of it, the thought of prying your hands off of it is just devastating to you. What you need is grace. 
What you need is Jesus. You don't need to give more money away. You need an experience of grace. I'm gonna finish, and I'm gonna pray, and I want first to consider what Christ has done for us on the cross, to consider what he's done for us. Chris is gonna come up, we're gonna finish in some worship. We're gonna respond to the Lord by singing. We're gonna respond by partaking of communion. We have some stations over there and in the back. And we respond by giving our tithes and our offerings. And if you're here, you're a guest, and you're, maybe you're not a Christian, please keep your money. We, we want you to know Christ. You need grace in your life first. And if you love Jesus and you want to give, give joyfully. Give joyfully because you love Christ. And basically what we're saying is this, is God has come into our lives, transformed us, and that's what grace does. It changes the way that we view the way that we live. And when you get a number of people like that living together, you know what you have? You have revival. You have revival. You have people that are on the same page, same mission, same purpose. Christ has radically taken a hold of their heart. They love Jesus with all their heart. They love God's word with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. And they want to see the culture changed. Not just condemned, but transformed. That's what we want to see happen. I'm gonna pray, we'll sing, we'll give, we'll partake of communion. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I'd encourage you, the most important thing for you to do is just to ask God to wash you, to cleanse you, to forgive you of your sin, to be made right with him, to receive the gift of grace, to basically trust in what he's already done there on the cross. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that it was there, that life, was, your life was laid down, And God, it was there that you brought about the means by which to change us and transform us. God, we want to be a community of people that are like Jesus. Having a different perspective about our community, about our culture, and about the way that we view our, one of our most precious, most valuable treasures, at least in America, which is money. God, that we would learn to just recognize that you are the most valuable treasure in our lives. We trust you, we love you. God, help us just to worship you.